Bismillah walhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalamu ala Habibillah Sayyidina wa maulana Muhammad ibn Abdillah Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala Amma ba'd Qala Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala Fi kitabihi al-majid Ba'da'udu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim وما أبرئ نفسي إن النفس لأمارة بالسوء إلا ما رحم ربي إن ربي غفور رحيم صدق الله العظيم For the past couple of weeks we've been covering the story of Yusuf salam and no doubt that there are so many lessons within the story of Yusuf salam that um, you know it's taking us uh, a number of weeks to to actually just cover it all together. As I mentioned in one of the earlier. Uh, Sessions that the objective of the Quranic stories is not simply for the sake of the story, to hear the story, to listen to it, and enjoy it. In fact, one of the integral elements of a good story is that there's a lesson behind it. A good, a, a integral element, an integral element of a good story, is that there's some form of lesson or lessons, a number of lessons, that could be learned through it, and that's definitely the case with the Quranic stories. This is one of the reasons why, when you look at the Quranic stories, you don't find every single detail provided about the story. Right, every single detail of the story is not mentioned. Um, perhaps inshallah one of the upcoming weeks we'll see maybe we go over uh, the story of uh, Ashabul Kahf the young men who took shelter in the cave so when we look in their story we're not going to find every single detail who were they what time period was it those details are not mentioned in the Quran why because the Quran looks at a higher objective any story that comes in the Qur'an has a higher objective and that is what lesson can you, O individual, learn from this that will help you get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That will help you recognize how to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how to protect yourself from shaitan, how to protect yourself from the <clears throat> trials of the hereafter. And as you're living through this life, what are the challenges you'll face? How to go through those challenges? How to be patient? How to be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? All of these things are, are related to our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the, the highest objective. The highest objective. Connecting oneself with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter what state a person is in. 
So with that in mind, we continue with the story of Yusuf a.s. We left off on uh, verse number 43. And so here, there's another um, incident that happened in the life of Yusuf a.s. Uh, just as a quick recap, Yusuf a.s. currently is in prison and uh, there were two companions with him in the prison. They saw a dream and Yusuf a.s. interpreted their dreams. Uh, one of them was released back to the king and Yusuf a.s. had uh, uh, told him to mention him to the king. But this individual forgot, this companion forgot to mention. After you know a number of years, it so happened that the king saw a dream. And we mentioned right in the beginning of the story of Yusuf salam that Allah Ta'ala had given Yusuf salam the ability to interpret dreams. And then this kind of led us to a discussion on dreams and the nature of dreams. There are some dreams that are significant. There are some dreams that are not significant. And uh, um, uh, in any case, uh, this king, he saw a dream and he felt it was significant. Okay, uh, Sometimes you see a dream and when you wake up, you realize that there's some sort of meaning. There's some sort of uh, significance to what you saw. Maybe you're not able to connect it. Maybe you're not able to understand it. But you remember the dream. When you wake up, you remember the dream very clearly. And uh, you're just not able to put your mind around it and figure out what what it's about. In those types of dreams, um, if a person want, wants... Uh, they can uh, definitely go to somebody who has knowledge of in dream interpretation and ask them to interpret it for them. On condition that they are a person who does possess knowledge, they're a person of piety, and there's a, they're a person who uh, has um, uh, good, good intent towards you. <clears throat> in any case, uh, I won't go over exactly what the dream was, we're going to kind of skip over it. But nonetheless, he saw this dream. He mentioned it to his court. He mentioned it to his, his you know, ministers and whoever was there in court. That this is the dream that I saw. Uh, a lot of them responded by saying, Qalu adghathu ahlam. Ayah number 44. Qalu adghathu ahlam. They said that this seems to be a uh, um, one of those dreams that's just a representation of, you know, uh, of nothing. Uh, there are some certain times we uh, we see dreams where all they are are um, maybe something that happened during the day. Okay, or maybe there's a thought you had or something you were thinking about, or maybe something happened in the day, and then you just kind of see that happening in the in the dream as well. It has no significant importance. Right? It's one of those insignificant dreams. So they قالوا أضغاث at the same time, they're also recognizing وَمَا نَحْنُ بِتَأْوِيلِ الْأَحْلَامِ بِعَالِمِينَ We don't know how to interpret dreams. So at that time, the individual who Yusuf السلام, had interpreted the dream for and who uh, uh, was released from prison and he went back to serving the king, he recalled that, oh, I had a companion who was very good at dream interpretation. And so he mentions this to the king and the king then allows him to go and ask Yusuf salam. And so at that time, he goes to Yusuf salam. And it's very interesting to note here that uh, when he goes to Yusuf salam, he says this ayah number 46, Yusufu ayyuha siddiq. Yusuf, oh one who is siddiq. Who, siddiq, 
is a higher form of Sadiq. Sadiq is somebody who is honest. Siddiq is somebody who is always honest. Yani who adheres to honesty all the time. Now that doesn't mean that As-Sadiq doesn't, but in general, in, in Arabic, when you say As-Sadiq, um, somebody who even spoke the truth once at that time, you can say he's Sadiq. Okay, you can say the word As-Sadiq. Siddiq is somebody who's always honest and true. Okay, at the same time, it doesn't mean that a person who is, when we say As-Sadiq, um, that he can lie as well. Again, it depends on the person. For example, the Arabs knew the Prophet is As-Sadiq and Al-Amin. Why? Because the Prophet never spoke a lie. Nabi Sallallahu never spoke a lie. And the uh, Arabs, um, whoever knew the Prophet had never experienced any form of lie. They had never experienced Nabi Sallallahu to lie to them. They had never experienced Nabi Sallallahu to be dishonest. They had never experienced Nabi Sallallahu to be untrustworthy. They had always experienced him to be honest, truthful, and trustworthy. In any case, so he uh, um, mentions this and he then tells him about the king's dream and he says, you know, what is the interpretation of it? Yusuf salam, not only does he interpret the dream, but he also provides a solution. Basically what the dream uh, turned out to be is that there will be a, a period of time when the people will face a drought. And before that period of time comes, there's going to be some period of time where, uh, you know, uh, um, there will be enough vegetation. Then there's going to be a period of drought. And then it will come back to, a, a, you know, a year where everything will be back to normal. There will be produce and vegetation and whatnot. And so Yusuf, السلام, not only does he interpret this, but he also then provides guidance. And he tells him what should be done during this period of time. That right now there's going to be a period of time where things are going to go very well. The earth's going to be producing, you know, uh, its vegetation and its 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 crops and whatnot. Store it, right? Use whatever, however much is needed, and the rest of it store for the upcoming years in which there's going to be a drought. Because the drought is going to last for about seven years. Okay, so there's going to be seven years of vegetation and then there's going to be a seven years of drought. So in the upcoming seven years, you prepare. You prepare and uh, you make sure on a governmental level that uh, uh, all preparations are being taken care of for the after the seven year period, there's going to be seven years of just drought. And this is, you know, subhanAllah, uh, this is like a side point. This is a side point. It's not really related to the tafsir of, of these ayat. But it's something that we can, you know, uh, draw from it. And that is looking at our own life. Our life, this worldly life, is a time period that Allah has given for us to prepare for a day when you don't have the ability to prepare for. Now, granted, none of us knows how long that period of time is. 
For some, it may be 20 years. For some, it may be 30 years. For some, it may be 50 years. For some, it could be 100 years. But whatever time you have is there for you to prepare. And you're already being told right now. You're already being told there's going to be a day when you're no longer going to be able to benefit. You're not, not, no longer going to be able to do anything. There's going to be a day that's going to come when you're no longer going to be able to work. Whatever you have prepared and stored, that's what's going to come to your aid. And if you haven't prepared or stored anything, well, you're going to be at a loss. And if you prepared and you've stored and you spent the time storing, then when that day comes, you will be ready. Whatever you have in backup, that's going to help you and protect you. That's exactly how our life is. That when the, the time of death comes, we will no longer be able to do anything. You can neither do any good, you can neither, nor can you do any bad. It's done. Now, your book of deeds is not completely closed. That's also another important thing to keep in mind that at the time of death, your book of deeds aren't completely closed because any action that you did that perpetuates, that by its very nature it's perpetual, uh, that will continue. So any good action that you did uh, that by its very nature can perpetuate, the reward of that will continue to come to your account. So for example, somebody built a madrasa. Somebody, you know, uh, helped construct a, a, a masjid. Someone provided for the education of an individual. Right? Whatever good deed. Or they, they gave good tarbiyah to their, to their children. Their children then continue to do good deeds. Their, their children continue to make dua for them. Even after they're gone. These are al-a'mal as-salihah that continue. You know, uh, some call these al-baqiyat as-salihat. These are good actions that continue to remain. Even after you pass away, your book of deeds is just continuing to, to uh, register these in. And this is not just for good deeds. This is, this is also for evil deeds. Someone who did a type of action that others learn from, and then others continue and perpetuate that action. Could be something like a, a bid'ah. Something, an innovation in the deen that goes against the spirit of the deen. Somebody starts that and that they and it perpetuates. People learn from them. They continue doing it. Well, they're getting a sin for it. And any individual who does it, it's getting a sin for that as well. And then when they pass away, even though they're done, they can't do anything. That evil deed is still being written in their account. It comes in some of the narrations about uh, the the son of Adam, Qabil. Uh, the Prophet said that any murder, any killing that happens afterward, the sin of that will go to Qabil. Why? Because he was the first individual to kill. He was the first human being to kill. He killed his brother Habil. So anyone after him, who commits this crime, this heinous crime, the sin of that will not only be attached to that to the to the individual carrying that action out, but 
also to Qabil, who is the one who started it. So, <clears throat> this is something, I mean, this is a, a, a dream, and I, as I mentioned that what I'm saying here is not a, a, actually part of the tafsir of the ayat, but that's something to think about. Right, that's something to think about. So Yusuf said that an intelligent individual will be one who takes advantage of the time that they have. And they'll prepare for that day that they know is going to come. Though they may not know when it's going to come, they know it's going to come. And so they prepare in advance for it. So Yusuf tells them that, look, there's going to be seven years. Uh, where you will uh, um, uh, harvest uh, crops. And whatever you harvest, make sure you you keep it, you know, in its in its um, uh, shells, except for whatever you need to use. Illa mimma Whatever you need to consume, but the rest of it, keep it as is. And that's a again, that's another hikmah. And this is another ilm that Allah Taala had provided these anbiya that in order to properly store that grain, and so that the grain doesn't go bad, uh, Yusuf Alayhisalam provided some knowledge about that as well. That this is how you're going to store it in order for the grain, so that the grain doesn't spoil. ثُمَّ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ ذَلِكَ سَبْعٌ شِدَادٌ مَا قَدَّمْتُمْ لَهُنْ Then uh, seven difficult years will come, in which whatever you saved, whatever you had saved, whatever you had stored, all of that's going to be consumed during this seven-year period. Okay? And then after that, ثُمَّ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ ذَلِكَ عَامٌ فِيهُ uh, another year is going to come when people are going to basically the the vegetation and uh, all that will be be brought people will in, enjoy now this individual then he goes back to the king and he informs the king and as you can expect the king the the interpretation that the yusuf alaihissalam provided it was it fit you know come perfectly no doubt this is uh, um something that allah ta'ala had taught yusuf alaihissalam and uh, this king immediately wanted to know who is this person so what does he say? قال الملك, uh, <coughs> the king then says, Go bring me this individual. When the king sent his messenger, he said, Go bring this individual. I would like to meet him. I want to know who he is. He was impressed. And so when the messenger comes to Yusuf Yusuf instead of accepting this call, what does he say? He says, please go back. Please go back to the king. I'm not coming along right now. Please go back to the king and ask him to look into the matter of the woman who cut their hands. Right? Because Allah knows now at this stage, at this point in time, how many years have passed since that. But it was under that whole, you know, al- under those allegations or something had happened. And due to that, Yusuf Alaihissalam was put into prison. And here, this is a very important, uh, you know, uh, you know, reasoning here. Is that this is a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't want to simply get out of prison while there may still be potentially some talk. He is innocent. And he, want that, he wanted that the innocence completely be known. So until my name is not completely cleared, I'm not coming out of the prison. 
Inna Rabbi bikaydihin alim. Indeed, my Lord is very well aware, very knowledgeable of of the plots of of of, of these women that conspired and and whatever happened. So, in any case, as uh, uh, he asked, the king then looked into this matter. So, when they looked into it, قَالَ مَا خَطْبُ كُنَّ إِذَا رَوَتْنَ يُوسُفَ عَنْ نَفْسِهِ What is what was the case? You know when you seduced Yusuf. Um, they said, you know, Allah forbid, we know, um, we we didn't intend any evil. Huh? At that time, then you know, seeing what's happening with the case, the Aziz, the minister, the governor, whoever he was, his wife now, uh, you know, musters up the courage. So many years have passed. Perhaps she realized. Uh, she was at fault, and she had time to reflect at that time. At this time now, which is which is still a very um, uh, uh, courageous thing to do. If you are somebody at fault, you did something wrong. To admit to your fault is not always a, a, a. It's not a bad thing. If there are consequences that you have to face for it, fine, so be it. It's better to face consequences in this life rather than having to face any consequences in the hereafter. So at this point, she then speaks up and she says, At this time, the, the truth kind of comes to light. Uh, and she says, uh, uh, The truth is that I was the one who tried to seduce him and he was always from the people who were true. He never did anything wrong. He is innocent. And so his innocence then becomes no. After this, the ayah comes, This begins the 13th juz. <clears throat> now, some Mufassirin have a, a, a difference of opinion here as to who is actually saying this. Um, that I don't absolve my inner self of blame. Surely uh, man's inner self often incites to evil. Uh, is this the, the wife of Al-Aziz who's saying this? Is this Yusuf who's saying something general? Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But here the lesson we learn is we, the discussion that comes about is about the nafs Ammara. In the Quran, we find a couple of descriptions about the nafs. There are a couple of descriptions that come about the nafs. One of the descriptions is here. Inna nafsa amaratun bisu. Amaratun bisu means it's one that encourages, incites evil. In another place in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about another quality of the Nafs as it progresses, and that is, لا أقسم بيوم القيامة ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة. النفس اللوامة. اللوامة is that nafs that constantly reproaches itself. It blames itself. It rebukes itself. And the third stage, uh, or the third progression of this nafs, is then النفس المطمئنة. يا أيتها النفس المطمئنة. ارجعي الى ربك راضية مرضية فادخلي في عبادي وادخلي جنتي Based on this the mufassirin and the mashayikh have written that there are three stages of the nafs 
هذا نفس أمارة نفس لوامة النفس مطمئنة نفس أمارة is that نفس that constantly incites a person to do evil نفس لوامة is where a person you know at times will be incited to do evil and if he does evil then he reproaches himself he rebukes himself he feels sorry for what he did he feels regretful he makes tawbah but then again maybe he falls in, in that sin again he blames himself again he may fall he, it's, it's a constant back and forth final stage is the mutma'inna where the nafs becomes content with the commandments of Allah Ta'ala and it does not find contentment anywhere except in obeying Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. The nafs in reality is a, if you want to call it, it's a mechanism. It's a mechanism if you want to call it. And it's a self-preserving mechanism that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala put in insan. It's there to preserve not only the individual person, but also the human race. It is from the nafs that a person has a desire to eat. It's from the nafs that a person has a desire to, to procreate. It's from the nafs that a person likes to get the upper hand. It's from the nafs that a person likes to get power. It's from the nafs that a person likes to gain fame. It's from the nafs that a person wants to get more wealth. Because all of these do what? All of these help make the nafs stronger. It helps preserve the nafs. However, when the nafs goes unchecked, then all of these things actually become the ruin of the nafs. It goes against what its its objective was. Its objective was to pr pr protect and preserve. But when the, it goes unchecked, then the nafs actually self-destructs. It causes destruction. Rather than preservation, it leads to not only one's own destruction, but the destruction of then the society and, and those around. For example, Food and the desire to have food, that's something related to the nafs. If this desire was removed from insan, a person would never eat. If a person doesn't eat, what's going to happen? Very soon, he would die. That would lead to his demise. That's an individual preservation. If the desire to, to procreate, to have relations, was not put in insan, insan would never get married. Insan would never have children. Well, that goes, there goes the human race. However, Sharia, of course, Allah Ta'ala put this within insan. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knows insan better than anyone else, better than any psychologist, better than any doctor. And so along with it, Allah Ta'ala puts certain barriers, puts certain limitations and restrictions. So long as the nafs is within those confines, it is going to serve as self-preservation. And anytime it starts to go beyond those barriers, it will lead to destruction. Food. There is a limitation for it. Kulu wa shrabu. Eat and drink. You're allowed to eat and drink. 
Huh. There are certain things that are haram. حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَيْتَةُ وَالْدَّمُ وَلَحْمُ الْخِنْزِيرِ وَمَا أُهِلَّ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ بِهِ وَالْمُنْخَنِقَةُ وَالْمَوْقُوذَةُ These are things mentioned in the Qur'an, certain things that are prohibited. Likewise, in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, there are further things that are prohibited from consumption. You are not allowed to eat these things. You are not allowed to consume these things. Likewise, when it comes to the shahwa that a person has, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made certain limitations. A person is allowed to fulfill that shahwa through marriage, through nikah. And then there are limitations for that as well. For example, a man, Allah ta'ala has given the permission to marry up to four wives. Beyond that, not allowed. And the one, if he does marry, he has to make sure that even if he does have multiple wives, he has to ensure that he does justice between them. He fulfills their rights. Whether it's one, two, three, or four. But again, certain limitations. Likewise, as I said, because the nafs is there for self-preservation, there are other things that are associated to the nafs. Nafs wants power. What does power do? Power helps a person. Okay, there are certain limitations, restrictions. Kibar, Riya, Ujub, prohibited. What is Kibar? Kibar is the, the feeling, uh, the, the, uh, feeling of superiority over others. And that others are inferior to you. This is Kibar. Not allowed. Riya. Riya is to do actions to show off. Why? Why would you show off? Again, show, if a person shows off to other people, why do they do it? To earn respect, right? What does respect do? Respect uh, uh, brings in fame, popularity, which is a type of power. It's a type of power. You can control people. Not allowed. When you do any action, it must be done for the sake of Allah. Ujub. Self-amazement. Your, your, um, yeah, self, you can call it self-amazement. Where you're, you're, uh, uh, blinded by your own qualities. You may not think others inferior to you, but you're caught up. You're caught up with your own self. I'm, I'm like this. I'm like that. I have knowledge. I have power. I'm, I, you know, whatever the case may be. All of these things, not allowed. Wealth. Wealth also leads to power. People who are wealthy have a certain power. They can control. So there is permissibility in acquiring wealth. But then there are limitations, restrictions. You have to give zakat. Along with zakat, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi mentioned وَلِلْمَالِ حَقٌّ سِوَى الزَّكَاتِ كَمَا قَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامِ That wealth has a right on it beyond zakat. And just because you've given zakat, don't think, oh, alhamdulillah, I've fulfilled the obligation. At the same time, one should still continue to give so that the, the, the love of that wealth doesn't rust the heart. In any case, Going back to the discussion, all of these things that the nafs has, there are certain limitations and restrictions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put. 
So long as insan is within those limitations, there is self-preservation. Not only preservation of the dunya, if a person believes in Allah and his Rasul, then along with it, there is preservation in the hereafter. There's salvation. Salvation is the greatest form of preservation, greatest form of protection. Protection from eternal fire. So the nafsa ammara likes to incite the person towards that evil. And, you know, in our deen we have this uh, element of tazkiyah and tasawwuf. Perhaps you've heard the term tasawwuf before. There's a lot of doubt sometimes and uh, confusion about this. And often people associate tasawwuf and tazkiyah to, you know, uh, esoteric realities and and mysticism and, you know, people flying or people walking on water or people doing all kinds of things. Don't get me wrong, that can happen. And those are what we call karamat. I don't want to um, make them seem, you know, light or anything. Those are considered karamat. But they're not the objective of tasawuf. If I had to describe tasawuf and tazkiyah in one word, tasawuf and tazkiyah is discipline. It's discipline of the nafs. If I had to define it, I would say it's the discipline of the nafs. Disciplining the nafs to obey the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what tasawuf tazkiyah is. At the end of the day. Okay? Using uh, uh, methods from the Quran, hadith, sunnah to discipline the nafs so that it is obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that it is within the parameters that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set. That is the goal of tasawuf. That is the objective of tasawuf. If a person reaches that objective and they're not experiencing any esoteric, you know, feelings or realities or, you know, mysticism and whatnot, no problem. They've reached the objective. They've succeeded. And maybe from an onlooker, maybe they seem like a, a you know, an average individual. You know, it could be, you would be surprised. Okay? You could have, you know, uh, an, uh, an individual, you know, a, a, a random indiv- uncle in the masjid that could have reached that maqam, even though he doesn't display spiritual powers or something like that. How do you know? Consistency. Person, every day, is there in the masjid. I remember, you see this in Masajid. I know one uh, uncle, subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala, um, uh, shower his mercy on him and uh, 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 lengthen his his uh, um, his life and put barakah in it. But every day, he's there for the five daily prayers. This is again before... the. This whole coronavirus, of course. After Fajr was was done, he would sit, do dhikr, recite Quran. Recite Quran every single day after Fajr. And then uh, when Ishraq time would come, that's when he would finish his recitation. And then he would pray Ishraq and then go home. And then in Dhuhr time, again you see him. Every day, without fail. There are different individuals like that in our community. Perhaps even in our own households. They're consistent. 
they do their their actions. They have to read their ma'mulat. They will read their ma'mulat every single day. If they, for whatever reason, if they missed missed it, maybe they're supposed to do it after Fajr. They missed it after Fajr. They'll do it some other time during the day. But they can. They are consistent for the, the past whatever number of years. That's that has been their schedule. That's a, that is discipline. That is what we're talking about. So even if they're not able to do some sort of, you know, again, mystical powers or whatever, no problem. These are individuals who have reached a high state. Perhaps they don't even realize that they are so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Perhaps they themselves are unaware that they have reached such a high maqam. It's why? Because of consistency. And that's how a person is able to subdue the nafs. Imam Busiri rahimahullah in his very famous Qasida uh, Burda, he has a very beautiful line uh, in there where he says, النفس كالطفل إن تهمله شب على حب الرضاع وإن تفطمه ينفطمي That the nafs is like a child. If you let it go, if you don't put any restrictions on it, like a child, let's say a, a toddler growing up, <clears throat> and that drinks the mother's milk. If you let just let it continue to drink the mother's milk, that's all it will want to drink. It will never become weaned. And once you take the, the step to wean the child off of it, what's going to happen? The child's going to be weaned. Right? It's similarly, you know, when it comes to the time where uh, the parents have to start, you know, potty training their children. Now, in between, there's going to be a period of time where you're going to have to struggle. But once the child's potty trained, it's done. But if you were to let the child continue, continue as is, well, the child's going to grow up and he's still going to have issues. Same thing with any habits, right? If you have, you have children, uh, if you don't correct any bad habit, you let them go, they're you know, they're, they're, they're kids. You let them go, what's going to happen? They grow up. Nobody ever corrects them. That's how they're going to uh, end up growing up with those same bad habits. But at that time when they're young, when they're malleable, you're able to remove bad habits. You're able to do proper tarbiyah. Then what happens? When the child grows up, they have good habits. They're weaned per se. It's same thing with the nafs. And what's the what's the key? How how do you do that? It's it's consistency. It's consistency, right? If the parents, for example, they're trying to potty train their their child, say after one day they give up, the child's not gonna get potty trained. It's con- it's constant, consistent. You know, making sure. Now it could be slow at first, right? You start off slow. Same thing when you're weaning a, 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 a child, a baby, from the mother's milk. What do you, you slowly start to, there's like stages. After, you know, this many months, you start to introduce this type of food. After, you know, this many number of months, you start to in, introduce this. After this, and once the child starts to eat these other foods, and slowly, slowly, uh, um, uh, it stops, it's, it's, uh, um, it, uh, uh, gets weaned off from the mother's milk. After a time, it doesn't need the mother's milk anymore. Whatever habits you build, so it's a slow progress. And same thing with tarbiyah, same thing with the nafs tazkiyah. Often what will happen is we'll start on the path to reforming ourselves. We'll start on the path to tazkiyah and tarbiyah. But after a couple of days, what happens? We give up. It's not going to happen like that. 
You have to be consistent. And not only that, if you put a, a difficult burden on yourself, if you, uh, from the get-go, put a, not only a high expectation, but according to a high expectation, you uh, you put that kind of um, uh, uh, difficulty on you, you're already setting up, setting yourself up for failure. So it's not bad to have high expectations or high goals. It's just that you have to be smart about how you're going to reach those goals. Don't expect that in one day, two days, you're going to become, mashallah, the next wali of Allah Ta'ala. Don't expect that, you know, all of a sudden the, the, the tazkiyah and the tarbiyah you're expecting from the nafs is going to happen. It's going to take time. It's a gradual process, but you have to be consistent. That's why the very first step, it's actually twofold. The first step is twofold. And what is it? For tazkiyah tarbiyah, whatever is fard, whatever is fard on you, you must fulfill that. That includes the five daily prayers, if you have zakat wajib on you, you give zakat. If you are um, fasting in the month of Ramadan, you have the ability to go for Hajj with all you know, meeting all the preconditions, fulfilling that as well. These are the faraid. Along with that, having you know a daily recitation of Quran, maybe a daily regimen of dhikr. Number one. Okay, but starting off with the faraid. If you have a habit of missing fajr, you have to work on that. If you have a habit of missing other prayers, you have to work on that first. Now, second part of the, the, the stage, the first step is what? So the, I said it's twofold. One is fulfilling, making sure you, you build a habit of doing the faraid. Second is starting to remove yourself from sin. If you are involved, if you have a habit of doing some form of sin, you have to eliminate that. You have to eliminate that. And I spoke a little bit about this before as well. For example, a person has a uh, habit of drinking. Drinking alcohol. How do you do that? If a person has the willpower to, to completely cut off, that's I, I would recommend. I would encourage you completely cut it off and you make the tawbah in fact that's what you should do you you have to eliminate it you make the tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, I'm not going to do this again I'm not going to do this again huh if there is some form of medical issue that's involved with it then of course you speak to the proper uh, um, uh, individuals for example there may be individuals who uh, if they have uh, um, certain addictions and whatnot, then they may go through withdrawal and, and whatnot. And so for, for those individuals, definitely you seek out proper um, uh, guidance <clears throat> from the right people. How do you get yourself out of it? But if it's just a mere habit, you from this point on, you say, I'm not going to do it. And you make a tawbah. And you make a determined resolve that you're not going to do it again. And whatever triggers... Whatever things that trigger that that desire to go back to it, you eliminate those two. You 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 figure those triggers out and you stay away from it. And if you do fall, you again make tawbah. Again make tawbah. The worst thing that a person can do is commit a sin and then ignore it. We as human beings, we are going to sin. 
Every child of Adam uh, is going to sin, is going to make mistakes. But the best of them are those who make tawbah. Best of them are those who make tawbah. The worst thing that you could do is commit a sin and then ignore it. Don't ignore it. When you commit a sin, immediately, immediately do tawbah. Immediately do tawbah, immediately follow up with a good deed. That will help eliminate the effect of that sin. That will help. But then again, you have to work on it. And in the beginning, is there going to be some difficulty? Yeah, definitely there's going to be some difficulty. With all the examples I gave you, you know, if you're weaning a child, if you're, you know, potty training a child, is, is there a, a period of time in the beginning where it's really difficult? Yeah, it's really difficult. You want to give up. But if at that time you give up, what's going to happen? Then it's going to be very difficult moving forward. Why? Because then those habits, any habit, you, that you, any action that you do over and over becomes a habit. It starts to take root. Once the, if the, the roots are small, you can easily, you can easily uproot the plant. Right? If it's like a small, you know, when you were young, you, uh, in class, um, we used to these, we used to do these experiments where you take like chickpeas and, you know, you plant them. A plant like that is, is, you know, really whimsy. You can easily uproot it. No problem. Something like, you know what? You, you never built a habit. You did it once or twice. Okay. Easily uproot it. Make toba. Never do it again. That, 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 any sin, whether it's addiction to drugs, whether it's addiction to alcohol, whether it's, uh, uh, uh whatever it may be. Seeing things, uh, haram things, doing haram things, whatever it may be. It could be music. You just make the intention at that point, make a determined resolve not to do it. In the beginning, is going to be difficult? Absolutely, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to work. And if so, it so happens that you do it again, again, make tawbah. Because if you ignore it, that's when it starts to take root. If that, those roots go deep, it's not going to be easy to uproot it. It's not going to be easy to uproot it. It's, it's going to become part of you. Now, it's still at that time, it's not like you're, it's a hopeless situation. Again, we always have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لا تقنطوا من رحمة الله But one way to help that habit or that sin from taking root is as soon as you commit the sin, if you end up committing it, immediately make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, follow it up with a good deed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, إِنَّ الْحَسَنَاتِ يُذْهِبْنَ السَّيِّئَاتِ ذَلِكَ ذِكْرَى لِلذَّاكِنِينَ Indeed, good deeds, they remove evil deeds. In the hadith, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also said, وَأَتْبِعِ السَّيِّئَةَ الْحَسَنَةَ وَأَتْبِعِ السَّيِّئَةَ الْحَسَنَةَ تَمْحُوهَا Follow an evil deed with a good deed. You do an evil deed, follow it up with a good deed, تَمْحُوهَا It will erase it. That's the that's immediately what a person should do. From there on, what happens is slowly the nafs comes to the stage of lawama, where any time it does something wrong, it you know, there's a struggle, there's a constant power struggle. But eventually, when you're able to discipline the nafs, it's gonna be a stage where it's actually going to like doing ibadah. If when you stand in prayer, it's going to actually like standing in prayer. It's going to be happy. The nafs is going to feel happy when it stands in prayer. That's a nafsul mutma'in. It is mutma'in. It is content with the 
obligations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Maybe it could be a stage where maybe it doesn't even feel the happiness. But it's content. It's content. And it's content with the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبِ It's to the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, heart, that hearts reach that state of itma'inan. Quran, prayer, dhikr, all of these things and help assist. But those are step two. Step one is you ensure that you have fulfilled, you're fulfilling all the fara'id. You have a habit of all the fara'id. And you've, you at the same time are working towards removing any bad habits, sins. And along with then, second step, if you are able to be punctual in your, your fara'id, okay, now you go to step two, inculcate further adhkar, further dhikr. For example, the bare minimum that usually is asked every day a person say a hundred times, subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illa, wallahu akbar. hundred times. hundred times istighfar, astaghfirullah rabbi min kulli dhambi wa atubu hundred times uh, salawat, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa If you are not able to do a hundred times, no problem, do less. Fifty times. Twenty-five times. Thirty-three times. Just be consistent. Once you've built consistency on a whatever specific number, okay, gradually start to increase it. But those are the stages of how the nafs becomes mutma'inna. <clears throat> We, subhanAllah. <clears throat> so in any case, this is what uh, Yusuf alayhi, uh, from the story of Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam, وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِ إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِالسُّوءِ I ended up talking on this topic more than I um, I intended to, but I think it's a very important topic, especially, you know, again, I'll say it, in these days where we have an opportunity, okay? We as Muslims, we are optimistic, we're people who are optimistic. That's why, what is tawbah? What is the concept of tawbah? The concept of tawbah is optimism. Right? You do a sin, you don't fall down and say, you know, I've committed a sin, my life's over. You commit a sin, you get back up, you make tawbah, you get back up and you continue moving forward. Right? So our deen teaches us this type of optimism. So, same thing. We're in this situation, as depressing as it could be, as difficult as it may be, what do we do? We take advantage of it. How do we take advantage? Well, the time that we have, the opportunity that we have, we use it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for ibadah. So, in any case, we'll, um, we'll end here for today and we'll continue the story of Yusuf alayhi Well, we'll mention a couple other things. So, at this stage, uh, once the, the, uh, Yusuf alayhi salam, uh, he, um, his innocence becomes established, then the king, uh, <clears throat> The king expresses his his trust in Yusuf So after he speaks to him, the king says, amin." That indeed, uh, from today, you are somebody who is trusted. You are somebody who is trusted, and you are somebody who we will provide accommodation for. At this point, Yusuf then says, uh, Make me... Uh, uh, in charge of the treasury. Make me in charge of the treasury. Indeed, I am somebody who is, will guard it. Uh, I'm somebody who is knowledgeable as well. And so from here, uh, a couple of things that we learn is number one, 
our Islamic philosophy, people oftentimes, we live in the Western world where the, the philosophy is capitalism. The Islamic philosophy is you don't ask for a higher position. Okay, you don't ask. You you build within yourself the capability and the skill that you could run at a higher you know uh, um, station. But you don't ask or demand for a high position. Okay? That's a general philosophy. Unless if you know that there's no one else who could do it better than you. Okay? Unless if you're sure that there's no one else that could do it better than you, then you can ask for that. But the general philosophy has been is that you don't ask for it. If it's given you, what you do still, that doesn't mean you completely, you know, make yourself useless. Rather, you build in the skills within yourself and the capability that you could run at that stage, at that level. And so if it is ever entrusted to you, if it is ever given to you, if it is handed to you, you're able to fulfill that responsibility properly. Okay? Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an never asked for khilafah. He was never asked, he never asked for Khilafah. He was made Khalifa. And it comes in the narration that a person who, who is given a responsibility, then Allah's assistance is with them. And if a person takes on a responsibility, then that, yani, by him, by him or her, herself, a responsibility, yani, at a higher level, then keep in mind, uh, uh, that person will be left to their own accord, but with the exception to that is, if a person is certain that there's no one else who can fulfill that responsibility, that job, then you move forward with it. Likewise, I guess again, if you have the skills, you have the proper skills, at that time, you put your skills to this to service, right? Uh, for example, um, somebody is a, a trained doctor, when the time comes, at that time, you don't, you know, like simply humble yourself. Oh, no, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm no one. Allah Ta'ala has given you skill. Then you say, look, Alhamdulillah, I'm skilled in this. I, I could do this. These are my, these are, this is what I can do. Okay. Um, in any case, there are different perspectives on this too. There are, there are individuals who really at times, uh, feel a type of humbleness, humility. Uh, at times, there are people who look at other circumstances. Uh, for example, there's a story of Imam Abu Hanifa, a very well-known, uh, actually, story of him, that when he was asked um, and uh, to to become the Qadi, the Qadi of the of the um, Abbasid Khilafa, he he refused. He said, I, "I'm I, I cannot do it." And what, perhaps one of the reason is that his he his own tawadu, his own true tawadu. But the other uh, thing that Imam uh, Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, also had in mind is that perhaps the Khalifa doesn't use him to fulfill certain agendas, doesn't put him in a in a position where he's going to have to listen to the Khalifa and jeopardize, you know, the the uh, the trust, the sacred trust that he has, the, the knowledge of, of, of the Quran and Sunnah. So there are times again there where you have to look at other things as well. But in any case uh, here, Hafidun Alim, these are true attributes that are mentioned along with it. These are true attributes that are absolutely essential for a person who is in that kind of position, who's in some form of position of power, is that number one, they're a person who guards that protect that that responsibility. 
At this stage, Yusuf is going to become uh, uh, the treasurer. He's going to have the treasury under his command. And so number one, he has to be somebody who is hafiz, who's not going to act uh, uh, contrary, who's not going to um, violate that trust, who's not going to eat the people's wealth. Right? Hafid. And number two, Alim. You could have a person who's trustworthy, but he doesn't know what to do. MashaAllah. You see sometimes in government, you have people, maybe they're really honest and true. Allah knows if that's the case, but they have absolutely no knowledge of what they're doing. So these are two important skills. Hafid is mentioned first, but Alim is still important as well. It's equally as important uh, that when you're in a position, you have to have the skills. You have to know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, then that's a clear sign that you should not be in that position. Inshallah, we'll stop here and uh, hopefully we'll see uh, uh, next week if we can finish Surah to Yusuf. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, protect us and allow us to uh, understand and uphold the Quran and Sunnah. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdi, bin ashadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.